DevOps is now mainstream. If you and your organization aren't using DevOps principles, you are at a distinct disadvantage compared to your competition. And doing DevOps does not mean simply hiring a DevOps team. There's more to it than that, much more. My guest today is Mitch Ashley, the CTO of TechStrong Group. TechStrong is the publishers of DevOps.com and other publications. In this episode of Modern Digital Business, Mitch and I talk about the value of DevOps and how it fits into the structure of a modern digital application. Are you ready? Let's go. This is the Modern Digital Business Podcast, the technical leader's guide to modernizing your applications and digital business. Whether you're a business technology leader or a small business innovator, keeping up with the digital business revolution is a must. Here to help make it easier with actionable insights and recommendations, as well as thoughtful interviews with industry experts, Lee Acheson. So Mitch, DevOps started to appear in mainstream it seems about, about 2007 or 2008, I started using some DevOps types principles when I started at Amazon in 2005, but that places it about 15 or 15, 18 years old is what it, what it sounds like. Yet it's still an essential skill that I find, you know, many organizations that are trying to modernize still struggle with, mm-hmm. um, you know, they're, you know, they, they, they want to move to the cloud. They want to move to microservices. They want to move to cloud native, but yet they still struggle with the basics of DevOps. What advice can you give to companies trying to modernize, yet they don't follow DevOps processes and systems? They don't live and breathe it every day yet, right? So right. <laughs> well, you know, it's you know we've gone through successive transformations or generations of SDLCs and different different. I would call them almost project management life cycles for software engineering, um, and into it, including agile and, and things like that. And I think what's different about DevOps and maybe why folks struggle with it a little bit more is it's not a structure for project management. It's not a structure just for managing work, uh, cross-functioning across the organization. Yeah, those things happen. It's, it's also about how you, how you create software and the way you create it and, and what well, I think it was a little bit mystifying at first is so a lot of the things share similarities or comes out of, you know, agile, and some past, past efforts, but it brings a lot from total quality management, you know, the Deming era and from uh, Toyota manufacturing and things like Kanban boards and, and things that have shown up in agile, et cetera. But what, what it's about, I think it's a really c- convergence of multiple things. So let me, let me describe it this way. It's about how we create software in an era where we changed from being resource limited in our data centers to being virtually unlimited in our resources through cloud and through our laptops and develop anywhere strategies. We have Git show, showing up distributed source code management. You know, I can sit on the plane and develop on any part of the source tree that you can. And, um, but at the same time, introducing some new evolution of architectures, you know, from Sola into cloud native microservices, et cetera. And so why I mentioned all of those together with DevOps is because DevOps now thinks of things in much smaller pieces of work, much smaller cycles, much more concurrency of all those things happening at once. 
uh, we can develop much more quickly in much more, much smaller increments and we can deliver those things more quickly. So that's very different than we're going to go, we're going to take a product release and divide it into sprints and do six sprints and then we'll have a release that we'll push out, right. you know, six, two week sprints or whatever our, our metrics are. It is literally getting to the point where you can, if we had a, a security emergency this afternoon, you potentially could issue a patch today, tomorrow, within hours, within days, you know, very quickly because the software is smaller, the process is smaller and faster, and it's all, or a lot of it is automated. So I think that's, you're, there isn't a manifesto to follow. It isn't like the Agile manifesto, right? Um, there were just some principles that were kind of set about at the beginning. And I think it's evolving while it's, while we're, while we're implementing. So, you know, we are building the plane while we're flying it, you know, the old analogy. Uh, does that help Lee? I mean, no, it's a bit, it's a big answer to a, a core question, but I think it is really a little bit of all of those things happening at once. It, it absolutely does help. I, you know, I certainly, when I talk to people about DevOps, um, I talk to them as much that it's a cultural transformation as it is a specific set of processes and procedures. And it's more mm. like maybe it's an umbrella that covers lots of different things. You know, you know, one of the questions I often comes up and matter of fact, I did want to ask you about that is what's the difference between agile and DevOps. And just like you can ask the question, what's the difference between, you know, microservices and DevOps and microservices and agile and all these different technologies, there's, they, solve part of the overall problem, but DevOps kind of feels like the, the umbrella that encompasses a lot of these things together, much mm -hmm. like cloud native is an umbrella term. DevOps very much is, is an umbrella term as well. Yeah, I, I very much agree. I think of agile as bringing one really big thing to the table and that's resource constraining by time. I mean, I, I figured out earlier on in my career. Any, any software project longer than three months was always going to be delayed. Matter of fact, longer than a month there, I was always going to be late. So agile, not because of my learning, but some other very smart people said, look, let's resource, let's resource by time bounding it. And that's the main core principle is you build it around those, those cycles where DevOps is, it isn't time bounded, but it's holding time as a critical resource to do things very quickly and, and, you know, as quickly as possible, that makes sense, of course, but it doesn't, you know, we're in a continuous integration, so we can always do testing. We're in a continuous testing cycle, so we can test multiple environments because we're automating, not just the testing and the integration, but the creation of environments, test environments. I mean, you've lived in product environments where you may have three, four gens of your product that you need to test at once. So it, it is a convergence of, of a lot of those things in, in an umbrella term, like you say. Yeah, when I started at, uh, you know, I mentioned when I started at Amazon in 2005, we were doing what I call DevOps principles, basic ideas. We were doing you know, the, the concept of the single ownership, right? Ownership of both the development side and the operations side being the single organization. So you didn't mm -hmm. have an operations group, you had the, the service owner. Um, and, but, but yet we still had the monolithic application. And so we still had, you know, two week release cycles and everyone had three days to test their part of the monolith before the release went out. And if somebody didn't get the testing done, the release didn't go out. So one of the things that I found that I spent a lot of my time as, as a manager at that group 
was spending time getting other teams motivated to do what they needed to do in order to click the, yes, I approve of this release. <laughs> so we get the green light for everyone before the whole thing went out. So it was DevOps types ideas, but forgetting the agile aspect of it. And, you know, one of the, the first things we were doing was trying to move to a service architecture to get rid of that monolithic problem. Mm -hmm. And that's really was the, the move of Amazon into more, what I would call more agile principles. And, you know, now companies like Amazon, they'll released, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of times a day, or in many cases an hour. Um, and they're very, very agile, very nimble as an organization. And that's quite a transformation over just the, the 15 years. And really it's DevOps along with agile that's really has led to that sort of transformation. A, a company like Amazon could not have existed without the principles of DevOps wonder if you've seen similar stories in other companies. I, I do remember there are things you remember in your career. You're like, I went to this conference. I went to the first reading event, and, you know, I had been working in Amazon for a while and it, and it appeared to be like, okay, so it's a cloud-based data center environment. I can spin up, you know, S2 for storage and EC2, et cetera, um, or S3, sorry. And, and I went to this session where an Amazon person talked about how they change the deployments, you know, from the rolling deployments kind of we're used to, or the big weekend deployment, right? The two, every two weeks kind of frees everything and everybody shows up for the weekend for pizza. And he talked about how, no, we don't do that anymore. We take, we spin up some more servers. We put the new version on there on a few servers and a segment of region of the, the globe or whatever it might be. We point some traffic there with the new version of things running on it. We expand that. Pretty soon we expand it to be large enough to cover the, you know, all of our production. And then we start winding down the servers running the old version. Okay. There, that's how the clouds are different. That it's not just your data center. Right. Yeah. And that same thing got happened with me with DevOps. Cause I was running a, an IT organization that supported a lot of other development organizations when we were first moving to the cloud. We were doing like early open stack stuff and using Amazon and some things like that. So I was in this kind of automating the infrastructure part of it. And then once I started to see as teams did more and more development on Git and started doing smaller and smaller releases and like, okay, there's something there. And then a friend of mine, Alan Schimmel, who is CEO, editor in chief, chief editor of, uh, of DevOps.com at Textron Group. And I said, I've got this new domain, devops.com. You need to go read about it, right? I'm like, what is this? So I wrote my first article, devops.com, of sort of the more of a open kimono. Here's what it, I'm trying to figure out what this is, what exactly it is. That started my journey onto it. And we transformed the organizations to a DevOps organization. I later did another cloud migration where we took a big monolith, a .NET application, moved it to Amazon, re-architected a portion of it into microservices because no one would touch 90% of the code, <laughs> those kind of things. But you go through those, those experiences where you go, aha, okay, that makes sense. I understand why this is useful and important. It's not, um, uh, you know, we have used to have the uh, methodology debates, right? It's not a methodology debate. There's some real, real value and some real benefits you can get. And when you see that, you go, I want to do that more of that. So one other thing I see as I go and work with clients is I see the, 
the company that says, yes, we do DevOps. See over there, that's the DevOps team. And that <laughs> it's a, it's a, the, the definition of DevOps is they have a group that's responsible for DevOps. And then I have they, one. I have a DevOps. Yeah, they set it aside. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Exactly. I, I bought one. There we go. It's right <laughs> exactly. Over there. Yeah. It's right here. So what? <laughs> What's wrong with that model? What are they missing? What, what are they, they not realizing when they do that model? Well, DevOps isn't a thing. It isn't a person. It's a how, right? Yeah. So you, you can hire, yeah, it's, you need people and you benefit by bringing in people who've done some or all of it before, right? Sure. It's ultimately all about people, but it's what I would ask is great. Tell me about the work that your DevOps team is doing and, and how's that gone? Are you, are you like, this is great. We're kind of leaving it where it is. It's kind of keeping it happy where we are. Are you expanding it into your organization? How's that going? Cause that's a whole nother set of challenges, transforming an organization to, to do work that way. Um, so, I mean, that's my response is, you know, that's some managers on their resume. I have, I implemented DevOps in our company. I have one, you know, yeah. <laughs> kind of <laughs> air, wrong answer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, I know what you mean. I've, I have seen the, the center of excellence model. Work, well, that's right? different. They have a, that's yeah. different, right? Where they have a DevOps team that's job is to uh, spread the word of DevOps and spread the, the process and to train the organization into the, and help with the cultural transformation. But yeah. more often than not, that's, you know, maybe they think that's what they want to do, but they end up with, yeah, I have an ops team, I have a development team, and here's the DevOps team. So therefore, we're all set. And that's the end. They have of pizza it. together every day. So we have, have pizza. Exactly. Yeah. They, they meet for pizza <laughs> once a week. So they work together. You know, <laughs> you know the, the center of excellent idea and dojos and things like that, and DevOps yeah. dojos. You know, to, I think there's the control way we used to do things to the approved product list. Here's the approved architectures you can just help do this way, software this way. Yeah. And then there's the, more the Switzerland approach, right? We're trying to, um, collect knowledge and share knowledge and increase everyone's experience and then, uh, create some things that make, make it easier. Like here's the environment. You can spin it automatically. You don't have to go through that learning curve. Here's several of them, depending on what you're trying to do or in the environment, here's a tool chain or set of tool chains that we've developed and we maintain for you. Uh, that's constantly changing. It's not a fixed thing, right? It's not an approved product list. I mean, you can't just go buy that off the shelf, even with the ones that have it off the shelf. Right. Um, but th those kinds of ideas of let's enable and empower and equip people yeah. for a center of excellence or a dojo or whatever it might be called that I think is, is super effective because then it's non-threatening because most people going through a transformation, a big change, the first question they don't say, but they ask is, what does this mean for me and my job? Right. I'm going to have right. a job, right? When we started DevOps, this, oh, we don't need the ops people anymore. Guess what? We have SREs. We more than ever. <laughs> in platform engineering, we need more people in ops doing, doing what we might have thought of as ops things. So it's, I think there's threatening ways and there are embracing ways that will bring people into the process. That makes sense. That makes sense. I. Another model that I've seen companies use that uh, I, I think it's it's well-meaning but doesn't quite get the job done either is the what I call the center of practice versus the center of excellence. And uh, mm. the, the difference I, I think there is a 
when you think of a center of practice, you you think about a multidisciplinary team that gets together and negotiates and figures out, hey, if we do all of this, then this is all good stuff. And so it's more of a democratic way of coming up with the process of what we're going to do. So you, you get everyone together. It's much more of a, in my mind, it's much more of a kumbaya sort of experience, right? You mm. get everyone together, good things will happen, which is, which is fine, that concept. But what it seems to miss is the directed energy that a center of excellence does. You know, mm. a center of, of excellence will, you know, it's more of an outward knowledge transfer versus mm -hmm. a let's collect what we can find and put it together and maybe something good will come out of the soup that we're mixing. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you end up seeing things like that, but it's it's much more of a, or it's much less of a directed approach to to move into that. I see this with cloud migrations too. Um, much less of a direction and much more of a feel-good experience for the people involved than it is of a, yes, let's focus and direct ourselves and migrate into this direction. I think what you're saying I don't have that exact experience, what you're talking about, but I think what you might be hitting on something super important is the worst problem to have is to not have a big problem that you're, that you've rallied around going after and challenge to fix, right. Or to address right. or to achieve it's, you know, we're, we're here to create standards for the organization, by the way, standards were meant to be broken. So. <laughs> Yeah, but that's very much in our culture today, even more so with developers and DevOps and open source. I think what, what you might really be getting to at the heart of it, or something really important is when you have a rallying event, cry, purpose, objective, goal that helps bring people together to say, you know, we have, we, the, the corporation is really faced with some tough times here economically. Our supply chains have been decimated and we've got to rebuild them, but we're going to rebuild them differently. We, you know, have to figure out to really create not just online systems, but digital experiences that differentiate us from the competition because they're doing it and we're seeing the effect of it not so good on our side. Whatever that is, that especially if you can link it to something that's customer affecting or business affecting, not just we want fewer bugs or something that's very internally driven, um, that helps say, okay, well then let's work on this, right? We're going to work together and we're going to share what we learn on the parts that we work on. And we have, we can't do it alone, we, but we can do it together. And, and that we, it forces you to share and not create new silos, you know, while you're wiping out old ones. Um, I was on a, a recording today. We were talking about, we're going to start na naming them uh, Game of Thrones houses instead of silos, right? <laughs> 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 there's some there's some fitting analogies there, I think. There absolutely, absolutely <laughs> is, yes. <laughs> I was Baratheon silo now. And uh, so, but anyway, the, the point being, I think what you're getting after is when you have something that you're driving towards uh, that has a purpose behind it, that helps everybody know why we're doing this. Why are we doing that? You know, this tool show pass. It's the latest bad DevOps. What do we know something will be next in, in a year and we'll move on to that, but we'll never do it. Well, when you have a purpose and something that's going to pull people together, then you really focus on how to achieve something, right? Yes, that excellent advice. That That is fantastic. 
Oh, well, so, it's worth know. what you paid for it. It's free, so. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> to become an architect or perhaps you are looking to learn how to drive your organization towards better utilization of the cloud i have a whole series of cloud and architecture courses available on linkedin learning for more information on the courses i have available please go to leeatchison.com courses or click the link in the show notes <laughs> so I actually read an article, it was this last week, that came out in InfoWorld, and the title of the article was, Devs Don't Want to Do Ops. And the premise of the article was, you know, was engineers don't want to do ops anymore, and that companies need more control over their ops, and so therefore DevOps is losing favor. And there, the, the article's premise is that what is being replaced by is platform engineering and SREs and that model, but DevOps is going away. I figured you might have some thoughts on this article, and I'd love to hear what you what you think about this. But I don't want to send the author. They may be somebody really important, but <laughs> um, it sounds like a, a those are really good trees article. And by the way, we live in a forest. <laughs> There's a thing by. Yeah. I would argue that. DevOps is one of the things that helps create those other things, platform engineering. Or you go, go read the Phoenix book if you have, what's the first thing they do is automate setting up environments, right? That's platform engineering in a cloud environment, you know, in a simplistic comparison, but it is. And SRE, we do a whole show in, at TechStrong called the SRE show. And we were just having a, a fantastic debate the other day about, about the role of SRE and observability and yeah, how much is, is the SREs driving the need or do they manage observability, how it's configured, or does that eventually evolve back into development? And the reason why I bring that up is again, it's not silos, right? It's, those are all part of one continuous, um, ecosystem of creating software that has continuity between it. Why do we have SRE? Because we have automation and because we have more complexity than we had 10 years ago. And we have the ability now to equip people and skills, people with the skills to go automate performance engineering, automate um, how to uh, be more resilient in our software. And best, guess what? They, they can't implement all that stuff. They're going to work with developers. To, to do a lot of those things you know, when, when they learn from that. And it's going to help developers with understanding what is happening inside of our software, right? And developers, we think we understand it because we created it. Well, we created how much of the stack we're running on, maybe a third of it if we're lucky, right? The rest of it is all open source and third-party services and SaaS, and no one person understands it. So I would argue DevOps helped create it, create the need, both the need and the opportunity for those other disciplines and that they are part of one continuous thing. It, it kind of fall, reminds me of back to the, oh, we won't need ops people anymore. Well, we won't need that people anymore. Um, here's the other argument I would make. I would agree with the article. Developers don't like doing ops. Right. Guess what? They're going to automate it because they don't like doing it. They don't want to be up 3 a.m. calling another developer saying, I don't know what your code is doing, dude, but it's, you know, it sucks. You need to get in there and fix it. And then we'll do that either. So that's, that's the whole idea of 
bringing disciplines together is we're going to bring automation to the things that can help us bring, do automation. We're going to bring more data engineering into observability and to understand how to use and implement tracing better going back into our apps so we can architect it in, you know, this is your world, right? Architecting it in the traceability into our code based on what we learned on the last time when we didn't have it, when we started and we had to add it later. So anyway, long, long, long answer to the article that you're, that you're referencing. Those are also, I wrote an article like that once, by the way, I wrote an article when I was blogging for network world, when, uh, there was a document leaked by Microsoft about their new, new Microsoft phone OS. And I said, yeah, the death of the iPhone. Cause I was mad at Apple about something. And I got, <laughs> this is my biggest, highest hit volume hit. I also got fireballed for it. Um, and then I got fireballed again, three years when someone else came back and said, yeah, I was wrong then it's wrong now, but you know, so this is the <laughs> agitator articles. So maybe is, yeah. clickbait. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I know what you mean. It's, I, I've, I've written a number of articles and, and certainly one of the best articles are the ones where you can say, yeah, this person was wrong yeah. and here's why. And yeah. those get a, those do get a lot of trust. We call that right? trolling so, now, but yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's true. That's true. You try and do it in a positive way, but it's, uh, it's, it's good. Yeah. yeah, yeah. When, when you have the discipline to do that, some of us exactly. don't have that, but. <laughs> <laughs> well, on certain topics, uh, I don't think we all Sometimes do and sometimes don't. It depends on the topic. That's true. Very true. So you know, the name of this podcast is Modern Digital Business, and you know, when I I use words modern applications, modern businesses, and a lot of the the writing that I do, you know, and and usually this means some combination of cloud, cloud native, DevOps, agile, you know, certainly SRE. Um, you know, microservices, scalable architectures, high availability, all those things. But when you hear the term modern application or modern business, what specifically comes to mind to you? I think there's, there's two sides of the coin. There's modernization, right? Which is kind of catching up, right? And there are people who are in that world who maybe haven't invested as much in going digital or work kept up or need to, you know, rip and replace in some cases. And then I think there is contemporary modern, which is there are technologies and approaches and things that we have that are, are closer to, to state of the art and not necessarily the leading edge that can enable us to do things that we couldn't do three, five years ago, et cetera. So I think when I read what you write, which is, I'm a fanboy, enjoy what you do. So thanks, thanks for contributing the way you do. When I read and I listen to your podcast, I think, I think what you've created with this podcast is fantastic because our role as technologists in that side of, of our role is not just being technical technologists, it's bridging the gap, it's connecting and collaborating between the business with the business and with technology teams, right? If we're not doing this for something other than technology's sake, then, you know, if your startup, it's going to fail. If you're a project, it's going to fail, you know, all that kind of stuff. But that's why, that's why businesses are looking at technology differently. Like I don't call my team IT in my company. I, ref I, I, I do not like to call it that because that harkens of the day of the land of no and the kind of, we put up all those people in one place, you know, so they can talk right. their stuff so we don't have to talk to them. 
we're in a world today where businesses see other companies do this, they, and we need to be able to do it in our business if we aren't already. And that is every executive has to be a little bit of a technology executive. As a matter of if you're CEO, CFO, chief strategy officer, product officer, whatever, they have their their job is to figure out also how to leverage technology to their benefit, defensively, object, you know, as an offensive strategy, go after new markets, increasing competitiveness, customer acquisition, whatever it is. In a modern business environment. As you talk about, it, I automatically think about how can these things advantage us in our in our company, our business, our team, our product, what we're part of, and that's the connection we have to make. That's how we can best serve all of us and our customers, our individual careers, by figuring out what can we do that we couldn't do six months ago, or if we do get our release cycle from a week down to twice a week, what what would that do? How would that change how we work or how we deliver for our customer? And what happens is as we do things like cloud native and DevOps and, and other things is the business is now looking at technology organizations different. They're looking at as, as an organization I can trust instead of distrust to deliver. If you can deliver, not only does that mean I can go after this, I can introduce a new product. I can introduce a product in this part of the world, in this market, at this level as an experiment, as a, you know, to test things in market. I couldn't do that before. It was always a three-year effort to get something rolled out, right? right to be right. sarcastic about it, but really probably happens a lot. So now businesses not only trust us to deliver, but also react when something happens that's bad. Maybe it, it really messed up. Maybe we guessed way off. We got to course correct fast. I think that's what's, that's what's important about modern business from a technology perspective. Yeah, I, I couldn't have said it better and I very much appreciate that response. Yeah, and in my mind, the, the ability to make mistakes and, and correct from and respond to them and, and, um, and and recover from them quickly mm -hmm. is one of the biggest aspects. And that's exactly, I think, at the heart of what you were trying to say there. So that's, yeah, that's I think fantastic. there's a, we should, we should do, we should do a podcast on the side called, um, yeah, what's the, you know, you can't fail expression from the NASA era. Um, too big to fail. It's not too big to fail. What expression from that, from the Apollo moon? Oh, um, I'm hitting a blank. I, 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 was it, was it, um, Gene, what's his name? That said yeah, Gene, I'm having a bite, um, which was ironic. Failure is not an option. Failure is not an option. Okay. Yeah, Gene Kranz. Yes, Gene Kranz. So, which is actually a, a totally wrong. It's a thousand percent wrong. It's it not, not only is it an option to fail, it's required to fail. What, what, what couldn't happen is people can't die. That's what couldn't right. happen in the Apollo 13 mission, right? It wasn't that they couldn't fail because if you think back to Apollo 13, how many ideas did they try with the round versus the square scrubber and the duct tape and the hose and all the mission parts, they failed hundreds of times to get to something that would finally work that would work in, in the environment and with the people they were in. 
But then same with powering up the limb, right? You know, I had 10, 10 amps and couldn't go above that. And what's the sequence and all that stuff. They failed. How many times did they try and fail? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that, to your point, it's about experimenting, trying, learning, you know, and, and applying all that is just not repeating the failures, right? When, when you've already made them. But that's the environment and, now. And it matters the size of the failure, right? I mean, well, certainly well, when you're talking about, you know, a the failure meaning the ship will die is is one thing. It's, it's a failure because this one test didn't quite go right and we have to do another test five minutes from mm-hmm. now. That's a, that's a whole different thing. And, and I think one of the whole basic concepts of Agile and, and DevOps would be part of that is you make your failures as tiny as possible and as yeah. quick as possible. You want more failures, but make them smaller and quicker and faster so you can recover from them quickly. Exactly. So that, that, yeah. that attitude, you know, talking about cultural transformation, that's a huge one. That's a lot yeah. of organizations, boy, failure is not, you don't want to tell anybody about a failure. That would yeah. career limiting move, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I, I went to a client once I had a, a huge QA department and they said, one of the biggest problems is that we spend, you know, all this time building something and then it takes six months to go through QA before we release. And I said, okay, well, just get rid of that. Stop testing. <laughs> well, we can't te- not test. I said, why, why not? Yeah. Well, why do you need to test? And the whole concept of going without testing, you know, was foreign to them. And, and, you know, yes, no, I'm not suggesting that everybody not test their code before they release it. It's not at all what I'm suggesting. But the fact is, once you move to a model where a mistake in code creates a tiny problem that you can correct, then testing becomes irrelevant. And because you can correct and refine and refresh very, very quickly. And the problem that you had ends up, the the scope of the problem ends up being insignificant. And that's really the goal. The goal isn't to not test. The goal is to make it so that failures are so small that you can deal with them and handle them and they don't, ruin the entire project they just ruin this one tiny aspect which is very simple and easy to recover from and think i totally agree and think think about this is another thing that's changed but we don't talk about it is we live in a world where we have massive amounts of telemetry about what our applications are doing what our users are doing all of that so the, the real the real answer is we're actually all just testing each other's software. We don't call it that. We call it using that. <laughs> but real, I mean, seriously, because problems can be narrowed down, it could be much smaller in, in size and scope. And we have not real-time, but near real-time data about what's happening. We, we can validate things. We can see things happening. Uh, just, we just went through a release, a pretty big upgrade of um, TechStrong.tv, our video platform. And we moved from a different way of doing our video player and all that kind of stuff. And we, we had this meeting, like, are we ready? Okay. We said, we're going to do it. We did sort of a modified DevOps sprint, right? We're, here's all the stuff we're going to do in the sprint. We'll do it in a couple of weeks and we'll release it as we go is what we really did. And we got to the point where we said this one thing, do we cut it over? Cause that's a bigger thing to cut over and didn't, well, did we test enough? Well. You know, no, because I know we're not going to test everything everybody's ever going to do on our site. There's a lot more people will do. We never expected someone to do. Can we, can we react and do we have the information to know when something's happening? Um, 
at least in enough cases, we're comfortable that we can respond. That's what I want to know. And if, That's a much more important question. If we feel good about that, then I feel good. Because if, we, if we're trying to achieve perfect software or, you know, bug-free or whatever, there's no more sub ones, you know, whatever kind of language we used to use. <laughs> but it is a different way of thinking, and I've had to change my thinking about it. Like, yeah, I'll release code with a lot less testing than I used to. Hopefully, uh, not to the detriment of any of any of my users of my products along the way. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Yeah. So, um, I want to give a, a plug to you if I if I can. You're the CTO of TechStrong, and you know what I know about TechStrong. You know, you've got 433,000 subscribers, I believe, according to your website. 13 million page views, uh, live video, stream video, conferences, etc. Tell me a little bit about what you think is the most important thing that TechStrong does and what you'd like to tell people about TechStrong. Well, so TechStrong group is a combination of some media, learning, events. It's for an audience of people who are in software and cloud and security. Some at the very senior level, a lot at a practitioner, both vendor and non-vendor. And you know, when you fill out the thing that says, what is your work industry is your company at, we would fall into a media company. I think what, what I view it and what I coach all of our folks of what we're doing is we're helping people advance in their career. People come to a virtual event, in-person event, to a webinar, to, a, to an article, to a video show on women in technology or um, CISO talk for security people, whatever it might be, um, because they want to not only be learned, they want to be informed and they want to hear from other people. They don't want to just read about it. They do want to read about it. They don't want to just watch videos about it. They do want to watch videos, but they, they want to consume information, both what people themselves offer through themselves and people offer through the medium of articles and videos and things like that. So kind of a long answer, but really what we are, people come to sites and events and, and uh, shows like we have uh, as part of staying up to date, wanting to know what's, so what is going on or what is test up? I read, I read about that three, three years ago, what's happening with it today? What's happening with, uh, I heard CICD is the place to start for, for DevOps, why, why, and tell me how that works and what I should do. Uh, or the role of a CISO is changing, right? It's not just a technologist role. They're in the border. You must have to speak business language and understand. And how do you implement a continuous instant response instead of a single incident response? You know, all these things that are happening while we're, we're doing our jobs. That's what TechStrong Group is about is creating a forum and bringing in experts like yourself and practitioners, um, vendors, uh, people who can speak to that audience that needs to know both what I need to know now and maybe where things are heading. So hopefully that, that helps explain it. The, the websites are devops.com, securityboulevard.com, containerjournal.com. Uh, the names are pretty obvious what they cover. We have a site called Digital CXO for senior level for, you know, Everybody's a digital executive, right? That thought. And then TechStrong TV, which I mentioned earlier, is our kind of Netflix-like platform that we host uh, interviews. We do a daily TV show, uh, about two and a half to 
three, sometimes four hours of interviews like this, you know, conversations, sometimes panel conversations. We also go to events like KubeCon, CloudNativeCon, where in Valencia we'll be in Detroit, live streaming interviews um, with thought leaders, practitioners there. We, um, you know, we'll be at uh, other vendor conferences. Um, we host vendor conferences, virtual uh, and some in person. So it's, it's where kind of people meet to talk about technology. I'll put in my plug too. I've, uh, yeah, I've, I obviously have spent a lot of time on devops.com. Uh, um, I haven't done as much with container journal, which I know is one of yours that I, I want to pay some attention to. And, uh, the virtual conferences are great and, and, and you have a ton of it, just a ton of fantastic content. So yes. I want to thank you very much, Mitch, for coming on Modern Digital Business. And this is Mitch Ashley, uh, CTO of TechStrong. And thank you very much. Hey, I wish you all the best. I'm honored to be here and look forward to other great podcasts. Thanks for listening to the Modern Digital Business Podcast hosted by Lee Atchison. Know a fellow technology leader and innovator struggling to make their business transition to a digital one? Encourage them to head to mdb.fm forward slash listen to subscribe to this podcast. Or visit leeatchison.com to learn more about Lee and his team. operate a modern organization running a modern digital application. Read more in my O'Reilly Media book, Architecting for Scale, now in its second edition. Go to leeatchison.com slash books or click the link in the show notes for more information.